It's time for the moment you've been waiting for. You're listening to Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now crank it up and rip the knob. Boy, that escalated quickly. Podcast partner of phillyisflyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. Your host, Mark Giannone, my partner in crime, Dan Silver. Dan, say hello. Hello. How are you? Good. I don't know if you want me to say more than hello. You can say whatever you want. Follow the No, I'm fired up, man. We got a good show coming up. We do. Lots of great stuff we're going to cover. Yes, and for the second week in a row... Me and you are uh, no longer a dynamic duo, but perhaps a tremendous trio, if you want to put it like that. We like are it. joined today uh, by a man that uh, you know has contributed to the home site, Philly is Flyer, in the past. He is a freelance fan, as he calls himself now, a huge Flyers fan, and was at the uh, Flyers Town Hall meeting, so he's going to give us great insight on that. Ladies and gentlemen, please a warm welcome to Mr. Mike Aceto. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks a lot for having me tonight. No problem. You are you are man inside, so we had to uh, obviously bring you on and give all the uh, special insights into the town hall meeting that had everybody a buzz on Twitter. And Mike had some great tweets about that last night. So, boys, uh, to lead off, I guess. Obviously, the big thing going on right now is the Flyers are on a bit of a slide. They are 2-0-1 in the last three, and they are heading into a one hell of a rough patch in the schedule. Starting tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday, they go back-to-back against Pittsburgh and the Bruins. And uh, we'll go first with the Pittsburgh game. Dan, I'll go to you. When you look at this game on paper and just think about everything, the way the Flyers have been playing, even the way the Penguins have been playing, the struggles by goaltenders on both sides. What concerns you most about this game, and what has you most um, optimistic for this game against the cross-state rival? I mean, this is a huge game because it's easy, like, during the middle of the season to kind of be like, oh, well, this is a big game, but there's so many games left that, you know, there's still time after this to catch up. I mean, there's like 16 games left for the Flyers, 15 games left for the Penguins, and the the Penguins are one point ahead of the Flyers. The Flyers have a game in hand, uh, and so this is a game where the Flyers win. They could conceivably be tied for the lead in the division with the Caps, so this, this game is huge, and the Flyers are embarking upon this really difficult sequence of games. I mean, they're playing the Penguins, the Bruins, the Jets, the Golden Knights, the Jackets, the hurricanes the caps i mean it's just this is going to be a really tough stretch for this team and it would be really nice to kick off that stretch with a win as you mentioned i mean the penguins goalies have been horrible absolutely horrible uh, murray was injured last week he's got a concussion so they've been kind of alternating between twist tristan yari and DeSmith, and both those guys have been terrible they're uh you know they added Derek Broussard, so they've got three really good lines and that's going to be tough for the flyers to match up against but Wayne Simmons is coming back, and so as we'll get into a little later, the Flyers have reshuffled their lines, and it looks like they might be able to roll four pretty good lines. But this this game is huge. This is far and away the biggest game of the season for this team, and uh, you know they've they've got the Penguins at home, and this is a big one. Mike, what do you think of this game when you look at it? Well, I definitely agree with Dan. I mean, this is a massive game for the Flyers, and I actually think that it's coming at a really good time. Um, And I say that based upon the team's struggles in Florida over the weekend, uh, where they really got their butts kicked uh, by the Panthers. And while the offense played well against the Lightning, that defense got shredded. And Mrazek didn't look all that great either. Um, So I think that the fact that the team's coming home off of a couple real bad losses there and against their probably their biggest rival uh, with second place on the line, uh, I don't think it could get any better for them right now, and they have to step it up. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Penguins, it's like the Flyers and the Penguins right now are at a point where they're like polar opposite teams from the way they've played. Just these last three games is mostly what I'm looking at. The Penguins got uh, kind of their doors blown off last Thursday against Boston. Boston put up eight points. It was just a really crazy, one of those crazy back-and-forth games where 
it's like every three seconds there was a goal going in. Penguins haven't put up less than three goals in each in each of these last three games. The Flyers, as we've said already, are struggling defensively. You saw that very apparently in uh, the road trip to Florida. Six or yeah, six goals in regulation in uh, against Tampa Bay, and then four goals against. Uh, the Panthers, and even when you go back to the game against Carolina, another four-goal g- game for them. Peter Morazic has let in 15 goals in regulation or overtime in the last three games. Now, everyone was huge on him, and now I'm not writing him off completely, but from where he played his first three games and now these last three games, certainly it's not only on him. The defense has to pick up their game uh, tremendously because – the seam pass was their all game against Florida. The Panthers were just taking advantage of that. I, I lost count of how many breakaways they actually had in that game. So the <laughs> Flyers need to really tighten it up defensively. Wayne Simmons coming back is huge. He should be well-rested. He should be chomping at the bit to get into a game and start you know, roughing people up and, you know, put the puck in the net. And Dan's right. They should be roll they should be rolling four really good lines. Limbaum saying in the top six is encouraging and because he's played great. So this is as big as it gets to this point in the season until, you know, the next time they play one of these tough divisional games. But I'm excited for this game. And it's been I think it's been a long time or it feels like a long time anyway, that the Flyers and Penguins have had a huge, meaningful game. And I just hope that us as fans are treated to an exciting game on both ends and not just, you know, a blowout one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, one thing you can say about games with the Penguins is that they always seem to be exciting, right? I mean, the, the right. last few playoff matchups between these teams have been insane. You know, the the one thing the Flyers got to look out for is that tonight, I mean, this podcast is going to be airing Wednesday, but tonight both the Devils and the Blue Jackets won. So those teams are getting a little bit closer. I mean, Mark, last week we talked about how the Flyers have kind of created some separation and they're clearly one of the top three teams in the division. Well, now the Devils are three points behind them and Columbus is six points behind them. Now the, mm-hmm. the Flyers have a really tough schedule the rest of the way. New Jersey schedule might be tougher. I mean, you got to look at the road trip that the Devils are going on over the next few weeks. They're playing almost all the best teams in the league on the road. So their schedule's tough. Columbus's schedule is is really easy. They've got an easy schedule coming up. Uh, Florida's schedule, I don't think is all that difficult. I don't think Florida's going to be able to catch the Flyers. But they, they, you know, they lose tomorrow night and, and the Devils win their next game and Columbus keeps winning and it's going to get a little interesting. I mean, I still think this team is you know, 90% to make the playoffs, but, um, it's, you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to start playing well. And you mentioned, uh, Simmons coming back. So the good news about that was that Oscar Lindblom is staying in the top six. So based on practice today, the lines are obviously you've got Jeru Katuria and Konechny as the first line. And then the second line is going to stay Lindblom, Patrick and Voracek. You know, Lindblom's played very well. He's done everything everything well, everything that they've asked of him. He just hasn't scored yet, but I think it's just a matter of time. The third line is going to be a line that was successful last year for the Flyers towards the end of the season with Jordan Wheel, Val Filpula, and Simmons. That line was not great at the beginning of this season, but Simmons was battling some injuries. And then the fourth line is going to be Laterra, who's everyone's favorite punching bag, it seems like, Scott Lawton and, and Raffle. So you've got all four of those lines have at least two guys who are pretty good players. So I think it's exciting that they're going to be able to roll those lines. But as you talked about, they got shredded defensively over the weekend. And you still got to deal with Manning and Gudis out there who have not been very good. Uh, and Pittsburgh's rolling three very good lines. I, it's probably going to be a shootout tomorrow night, high-scoring game. And you got to hope that the Flyers' defense can step up a little bit. Yeah. As long as the um, you know the goals are coming from both sides and it's not just the Penguins, then I think obviously everybody will be fine with it. Um, have either of you seen? I'm just trying to scroll through Twitter. I haven't really seen anything. I haven't been uh, on Twitter as much. Have either of you seen an update on either McDonald or Oduya? I know they both have the injury bug a little bit from uh, the trip to Florida. Have either of you seen any updates on them? I think that McDonald is scheduled to play. Is that right, Dan? That's correct. Yeah, McDonald practiced today, and it looks like he's going to play. Okay. Well, that 
is um bittersweet comforting (laughs) (laughs) isn't that comforting you're not excited i mean you know it's your favorite player when's your a when's your amac jersey coming in it's actually in the mail (laughs) um i got an express from china that's where i get all of my jerseys um i know there that gets a lot of hate people don't like the china jerseys but fuck you i i don't see anything wrong with yeah you get them for like 10 bucks on ebay yeah, it's awesome. I mean, um, I mean, you didn't want to drop the two fifty for an authentic one, <laughs> right? And you know, pay two fifty for a different neck than they had last year. Uh, you know, not really into that. But, but other big news, and I'm excited about this: the black jerseys comes back next week, next year. So that's cool, just to up those jersey sales even more. You've the, got the uh, Kanakne jersey, right? I do. I love it. Yeah. That's probably um. Those jerseys from last year are my f- top favorite uh, hockey jersey. Well, Flyers jersey. I thought I fell in love with the Winter Classic jersey against the Rangers, and then they dropped these black beauties uh, for the Stadium Series game last year, and I fell in love all over again. But I don't want to go too much on a tangent about jerseys and Andrew McDonald. So I put on Twitter yesterday, at underscore getting bullied, a poll if you're head coach Dave Haxall, do you ride Peter Morazic in another back-to-back this week or start Alex Lyon one of the games, and which would you start him? Um, Mike, would you care to venture a guess as to where the percentages went for this poll? That's a great question, Mark. Uh, I would guess that at least 75% of the people said that Lyon should start the second game here. Is that about right? You are close. 81% said start Lyon a game, and then, of course, 19% said ride Morazic. So, Mike, I'll flip the question to you. And it seems maybe you're in the favor of starting Alex Lyon a game. If you are, which game do you put him in, um, either the game at home against the Penguins or the road game up in Boston? Yeah, if, if I'm Dave Haxtell, I think you have to split this up between the two goalies here. Um, as good as Morazic has been, we saw last weekend that he was a little leaky at times, and he seemed to be a little tired. Um, you also need to give Alex Line a little bit of time. He has to be a contributor to this team down the stretch here. Um, the games are just too jammed, too packed together, and the opponents are too difficult. So you're going to need some sort of contribution from him. And Putting him on the bench for weeks upon weeks at a time isn't helping anybody. Um, I would probably start Morazic against the Penguins. Um, I think you kind of need a reset at home here, especially getting Wayne Simmons back. It's against Pittsburgh. Um, that's where I'd go, and I'd probably throw Lyon in against the Bruins the next day. Uh, you know, it's a tough assignment, but you know, like I said, he's got to contribute here. Dan, what about I'm, you? I'm going to disagree, and not just to play devil's advocate, but I, I think here's here's my reasoning. If you start Morazic against the Penguins and you lose, mm. now you're on the road playing the Bruins in a game that, you know, is, again, they're all must, must wins, but if you lose that game to the Penguins, now there's extra pressure in that game at Boston, and you're going to throw Lyon into that situation mm-hmm. I don't think I'd do that I mean I think that's probably if they're going to start Lyon I think it probably will be against the Bruins but I would start Lyon against the Penguins Me because too. if he wins hey that's uh, unbelievable we just beat the Penguins with our backup goalie and now we've got arrested Morazic for this game against the Bruins that's probably what I would do because I think it's a little less pressure for Lyon even though it's a home game against a road game just because if they lose to the Penguins throwing Lyon in there against the Bruins, it's going to be a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't see Dave Haxtell splitting this up because that's just not his MO. That's not what he's done (laughs) in the past. See Steve Mason from two years ago. But looking at the schedule right now, the Flyers have four games in the next six days. You have to give Peter Morazic a rest. And I'm with you, Dan. I would definitely do it. I would definitely rest him against the Penguins. My biggest reason was because it is a home game. And Alex Lyon, the young kid, you know, if he has the crowd behind him in a huge game, they're going to be juiced up. There's going to be a playoff atmosphere down there tomorrow. So for me, it makes sense to start him in the home game. And you're absolutely right. If you lose the game with Alex Lyon, it's just kind of like, okay, we had to play our backup to give our starter rest. Now he's rested for the road game. So 
it's not that big of a deal. But now you are you're right. The pressure is added so much on Alex Lyon if you start Morazic against the Penguins and he loses, now you're coming off of a loss on the road against one of the top teams in your conference. That's a tall order because we've seen the Flyers this year don't play all that great in the second head of a uh, back-to-back. They kind of come out sluggish, and we saw that against Florida. They started sluggish, and they finished sluggish. And they have a lot of games coming up in a short cluster. Morazic needs the rest, and it's perfect timing tomorrow against Pittsburgh because I think the, the team as a whole is going to feed off that crowd. So they'll be amped up and ready to go, and they should play well in front of the young goalie. But let's flip to that Boston Bruins game. Mike, when you look at the Bruins, and they had, they had the uh, addition of Rick Nash at the deadline, clearly they're going for it this year. They have some older pieces. Char is getting up there. Um, what concerns you most about the Bruins in Boston? Well, I think it. I think first and foremost, it has to be their offensive power. I mean, it seems like they are just scoring goals at will at this point. Um, one thing that may help the Flyers is I believe that Charlie McAvoy is injured for the next several weeks, and I think that Bergeron is also out. Um, but you know. <laughs> Even with those subtractions, the Bruins still have a lot of firepower. It seems like Brad Marchand always scores a goal against us or gets under somebody's skin or causes some sort of issue. Um, I mean, the Flyers are going to have to play a really tight game there. Yeah, I mean, the Bruins won 6-5 to five tonight. Marchand scored uh, three goals. He had a half trick. He had five points. They won in overtime 6-5. to five. I think Marchand got the game winner. They, you know, as you mentioned, Mark, earlier, they bludgeoned the Penguins last week, eight to four. They've won four in a row. They'll be, uh, that's their last game going into the Flyers game was was against the Red Wings, which uh, they won. So they're they're obviously a tough team. You know, like Mike said, the fact that McAvoy's out and Bergeron's out obviously helps the uh, Flyers a little bit. This is going to be a uh, this will be a really interesting test because the Flyers haven't played the Bruins since. December 2nd, and the Flyers actually won that game 3 nothing. that was at home. But we haven't gotten a chance to see the Bruins since they've been playing really well. So I'm excited to uh, to, to see what, what the Bruins have to offer. Um, obviously, they've been one of the best teams in the league this season, right up there with Tampa, and that division's been, been phenomenal. So, you know, I honestly, I haven't seen the Bruins a lot this year. I'm kind of excited to, uh, to see what the buzz is about. I just love because Konechny, the guy I've always compared him to, is Brad Marchand, which a lot of Flyers fans hate because they hate Marchand. But I think a lot of opposing fans of other teams um, hate Konechny, and I hope they hate Konechny as much as as we hate Marchand at some point. Yeah. But I I love watching Marchand play. He's such a such a rat, but he's such a good offensive player. So it's uh it that'll be a really good test. I mean, look, the Flyers. Like we've talked about, their schedule is brutal coming up, and this is just going to be another one of those tests. And this one's on the road, right? I mean, four of the next five games are at home, all against good teams. This is the one road game, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, problem for the Flyers going into that game is the Bruins have a lot of players right now that are, like, scorching hot when it comes to scoring. Marshan had a hat trick tonight. He had a goal in their last game. Uh, Tory Krug scored two tonight. He had a couple that I saw, at least one or two in the, the game against Pittsburgh a couple of games ago. Obviously, David Krejci had the hat trick in the game against Pittsburgh. So they have a lot of guys feeling really good about themselves right now and putting the puck in the net almost at will. Another, I mean, eight goals against Pittsburgh on Thursday. Uh, slow down a little bit against Montreal, a division game, a rival game. You're always going to have tough goes there, uh, but they got that win in overtime, and then a win in overtime tonight where they put up six. And so they're they're playing well right now. They're firing on all cylinders, and the Flyers, again, um, their defense is lacking a lot, and they have some speed going on over there in Boston that the Flyers uh, – should be concerned with again I reference all the breakaways that we saw the Panthers have on Sunday so I think if the Flyers can find their 
you know, just try to find a way to slow this team down. And it's it, a lot of this game is going to rest on the shoulders of Peter Morazic because it's a road game. And these are the, I mean, this is, it's games like this on the road. The reason that Ron Hextall brought in Peter Morazic because he didn't want, he wanted a proven NHL guy uh, in these situations. He didn't want to have to put Alex Lyon in situations like that. And I've been up to Boston last year when beginning of the season when they weren't playing that well and it was still an electric atmosphere on a Saturday afternoon in January. So late in the season when they're playing well, when they're fighting for you know the, the first seed, or they're trying to just really hold on as much as they can for that second seed in their division. It's going to be electric as hell up there on Thursday, but I think you know it, it all comes down to the Flyers' defense and uh, and Morazic or whoever the goalie is uh, to see if they could slow them down. And if they could control them, if they could control their speed, then I give the Flyers as good a chance as anybody else to win that game in Boston. So... Mike, uh, you were down. You were kind of an eyewitness, an inside man to the Flyers Town Hall meeting, and you had a great, great thread on Twitter um, that I was reading. And I don't do much reading, so you should feel <laughs> just a, a little bit honored that I uh, decided to uh, sit down and read through that because uh, I, am. I, Thank I, you. I learned a lot. There was a lot of interesting things in there, but um, – from you, from your perspective, obviously you were down there. You could just kind of feel the atmosphere and read the body language of the men answering the questions. What was to you the most interesting thing that you took away from that whole experience, that whole event last night? I think, I think, I think first and foremost, um, because the format was different, it seemed like everybody who was speaking to us from the Flyers was much more comfortable with it. Um, they weren't in a tiny room with fans kind of breathing down their neck. Um, here the format was they were on a stage that was actually on the ice, um, and all the fans were sitting um, in sections 112, 113, and 114. So there was some distance between them or between us, and, uh, and they had Tim Saunders and Steve Coates with microphones that were kind of passed around to various people as they raised their hand, um, in addition to some microphones set up up on some stands where you could walk down the steps uh, and and um, uh, form a line. So I think that that the format itself made Hextall, Hackstall, Chris Pryor. Well, Chris Pryor wasn't there last year, but everybody just seemed a lot more comfortable answering questions. And I think because the team is doing better this year and they're in a playoff spot, the questions weren't quite as aggressive. They weren't quite as biting as they were last year. Um, and a lot of people, I didn't report this on the thread, but a lot of people just 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 took the microphone and started complimenting how much they love the Flyers, <laughs> which which was pretty cool to see. Um, but the stuff that I focused on obviously was the things that it seemed like people were a little more interested in, some more controversial topics, um, and some answers in that regard. Um, Dan, obviously, I, mean, I saw this first. Um, I mean, you were all over this before I was reading this thread. Uh, I mean, kind of same question to you. What stood out to you of this whole thing that Mike put out? It's a really, really great series of tweets. Yeah, so I wanted to, what I thought we could do maybe was pick out a few of these tweets and, and you know, talk about them and, and get Mike's thoughts. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, one of the one of the interesting things was, was obviously I'm interested in, a lot of people thought that one of the main topics of conversation was going to be the fact that Travis Sanheim is in the AHL and Brandon Manning is, is still on the flyers. Um, you know, the, Mike had a tweet about how Hextall mentioned Myers, Moran and Sanheim as bigger D men that would help increase the size of the team and talked about them in context with, with Provorov ghosts and Hague, maybe saying that those six would be together someday. I mean, so my first two questions for Mike would be how much did the, did Sandheim come up and what was, what were your instincts on how they answered those questions? And then just about the defense in general. Sure. Yeah. Um, so with regard to that specific tweet, um, that, that answer was, um, was spawned by a question that someone asked, um, about what Ron Hextall is going to do to get bigger defensemen in, um, 
there was a comparison made to uh, to Dan O'Chara, uh, Victor Hedman, um, and a couple others, and it was basically, why don't we have one of those guys, and what are you going to do to get one? Uh, and, and Hextall said, well, I don't really have to get one. We have those guys in our system. Uh, and he went on to list um, uh, Phil Myers at six foot five, Sam Morin at six seven, Sanheim at six three. Um, and then what was interesting was that he then went on to the current roster and mentioned the size of Robert Haig, Ivan Provorov, and Shane Gossesbeard, but didn't get into any of the other defensemen. Um, so that's where I kind of thought, well, maybe he's thinking that you know this is this is going to be a potential six at some point. Um, with regard to Travis Sandheim, that was that was tested a little bit. I think somebody asked about why he's not here right now, and and the response was essentially that he just didn't seem to be ready. Um, you know, they they throw around a lot of vagaries here and there about you know with a lot of cliches and whatnot, but it it just seemed like they didn't feel that that he was ready to take on a full time NHL role quite yet. Hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, just looking. I noticed down here at the bottom, and I like this because I like when, you know, these guys, these front office guys are kind of put in awkward situations. And this is a little bit off topic, but it says, at one point during Homer and Tilger's session, Tim Saunders refused to give the mic to a guy who was completely livid near the front row, did not hear everything he said, but started off shouting about AMAC and throwing his hands up. <laughs> Yeah, this what was does that seem like? It was crazy. I, you know, most of the so the two main topics with Homer and Tilger were the new renovations that are taking place at Wells Fargo Center and the StubHub situation where it's tough to get your money back when you're reselling your tickets. And out of nowhere, this guy didn't have a microphone, just started flipping the fuck out. <laughs> he was like right near the front and he threw his hands up. And I heard something about Andrew McDonald in that rant, and it was funny because Tim Saunders was up at the top of the row and um, or top of the aisle, and he started walking down when this guy was talking because he seemed animated. And then once Saunders got close enough to understand what he was actually saying, he backed off and just refused to give him the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> That's tremendous. What, what were the? Uh, did did anybody on the stage hear this guy? Did they acknowledge him at all? I'm sure I'm sure that Homer and Tilger heard him and you know the guy I don't think he was on something or what but you know if you're going to ask the questions about player usage and stuff Sean Tilger and Paul Holmgren are probably not the right people you right. should ask about so so the topic was totally off um, I'm sure they heard whatever he was saying uh, but the rest of the audience did not I was just there before we move on, I'd just like to point out that someone just cast a huge bet in Vegas because the odds that our guests last week, Johan last week, and our guest this week, Mike, would have both dropped the F-bomb before <laughs> Mark, who usually drops the F-bomb within the first three minutes of the show, must have been like a thousand to one in Vegas. So I, I'm, you know, Johan maybe because he's known for running around with his pants off, but but Mike, I, you know, it's kind of like a sophisticated, cultured guy. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see the F-bomb coming. I, so. I yeah. didn't either. I was yeah, shocked. I was going to let him go. To... I don't care. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just wanted to you know, try to be natural here and, you know, really give everybody, you know, my reaction was this guy was, was flipping out. It's flipping that's, the fuck out. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I got to ask about my boy because I've, I've written probably about 7,000 words about Morgan Frost this season. And um, actually went ballistic on someone earlier this week on Twitter who had him ranked like the 49th best forward prospect in outside of the NHL, which is preposterous. But in any in any event, um, so apparently Chris Pryor, uh, Mike had a tweet. Chris Pryor mentioned that Morgan Frost is having an amazing season in the OHL. Now again, just for fans that don't know, Chris Pryor is the director of scouting for the Flyers. I think he's a VP now, so he handles all the drafting and, and whatnot. So Chris Pryor mentioned that Morgan Frost is having an amazing season in the OHL, but size-wise, he is still not mature enough for the NHL. Said if we saw Frost sitting on the chair up there next to him tonight, we'd understand that point better. So, Mike, I'm interested. Was your sense that they're basically kind of setting it up for Frost not to make the team next season? Yeah, I think that's exactly how I read that as well, Dan. Um, it seems like the skill set 
is absolutely there. The the NHL instincts, the game instincts are absolutely there, but Chris did not see the physical maturity necessary to compete at this level quite yet. Um, whether or not, you know, I don't know how far away Frost is at this point. You know, we're in what, March now. He's got, what, six months to, you know, to bulk up. I, I'm not sure if he's going to mature that quickly. Um, but it seemed like that was the only issue that could be holding him back now. And to be honest, I would not be surprised if uh, if Frost is back in juniors next year, which and I don't think he's AHL eligible. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. Okay. Um, and just to give a little bit of context, because one of the guys that Frost is sort of compares to a little bit is Claude Giroux, and Claude Giroux is very sort of had a similar frame. I think they're the same height. And so Claude Giroux was drafted by the Flyers. He put up like 110 points in the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League the year he was drafted, and then he the year after he once again went back to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So, you know, Giroux's not a bad comparison, and Giroux was a guy who went back as a 19-year-old. So next year, you know, if Frost goes back as a 19-year-old to the OHL, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's the same path as, as Drew. So I've always sort of maintained that it's maybe 50-50, maybe 60-40 that Frost does go back. And hearing these comments, you know, makes me think that, you know, Frost is just really going to have to bulk up and really blow the doors off uh, in the fall to make this team. Yeah, and I don't think it's really, you know, a matter of, okay, you have to reach, you know, X height and Y weight. I think it's you have to grow out whatever your frame is. You have to grow that frame out properly. Uh, and I think that's more so kind of where uh, where Pryor was coming from. So one, one other tweet um, that I was really thought was interesting, and it gave me a sense of pride as being a Flyers fan, and I liked hearing Hextall saying it, was that – the tweet was that from Mike was that Hexy said he places very high value on bringing his own players up through the flyer system said it means more for them to play for the team that drafted them rather than bringing a guy who was played for four teams. And you can see a difference in their effort level. Cause that kind of, that kind of makes you feel a little bit of pride in, in your own team hearing the, the GM say that and kind of is a, gives you a sense of why he might not want to trade away guys that he's drafted. I mean, what, what, what was that like? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was a point that Hextall really did emphasize here. Um, he he kind of, uh, you know, discussed the Flyers' culture and kind of how they, how they draft, how they develop, how they bring these kids up through the system, and he placed a ton of value on that. Uh, I don't know, you know, if you can really quantify it, but there definitely was something there where it means so much more to have a kid when he's 18, 19 years old, get him in the organization, and have him go through step one, two, two, three, four, five, whatever, and have him reach the flyers because the guy is just going to, he's going to play harder. He's going to play better. It's going to be more meaningful for him to be here. Uh, and that was interesting because I didn't think that a lot of GMs really thought about it that way. Um, but Ron Hextall really does. And I agree with you. You know, it's, it's a big pride thing. It makes you feel really proud of, uh, of how the flyers actually structure this. Um. <clears throat> Mike, now I'm seeing here, and we haven't really, I don't think we've ever really talked about this whole topic on the show before, but um, I guess there were some questions brought up about the shootout and overtime, and, you know, Hexall said, you know, the Players Association obviously would have to approve extending overtime, but what I found interesting was that he said that um, he was entirely in favor of eliminating it entirely, as this is in uh, talking about the shootout, and um, going to a seven-minute, 30-second of overtime, and then would end, if no one scored, the game would end in a tie. Um, first, I, I mean, I'm just going to ask your guys' opinion of this matter, because the shootout is kind of is what it is. People either love the excitement or they hate the excitement, um, because it's really kind of a skills competition and all that. We've all heard the arguments for and against. I don't think I, to me it doesn't make any sense ever for any professional sport to ever end in a tie under any circumstances. Kind of surprises me that a guy like Hextall, who is so competitive, would as would actually be in favor of a tie. But I mean, do you think there's any chance ever of this shootout thing being taken away and 
perhaps giving the Flyers some relief that they won't have to deal with something like that? Because it seems like he got a lot of questions last night about bringing in a shootout specialist. I don't even know what the fuck that is. But <laughs> do you think there's a chance this goes away? Do you want it to go away? Do you love it? Do you hate it? What do you think about the shootout? In my, my opinion... Sure. In my opinion, I don't really like it. I think that it really disrupts the flow of the game, and especially considering the fact that overtime is now three on three, which is just, I mean, maybe the most exciting element in all mm -hmm. of sports. Um, and to see that extended by a couple of minutes would just be awesome. Um, I think that when you cut it off at five minutes and no one scored, you know, you disrupt the game, you do the dry scrape, um, you know, you get the guys that are dancing down the ice trying to do moves or just shooting into the goalie's pads like the Flyers like to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's just a problematic thing. I think it's kind of a dumb way to end a game. And, you know, coupled with the fact that the Flyers, I think, are historically the worst team in NHL history in the shootout, um, I would certainly like to eliminate it based upon all of those factors. I hate the shootout. I mean, Me I too. can't stand shootouts. The Flyers are not only the worst team in the history of the NHL in shootouts, they are far and away the worst team in the history of shootouts. There are teams that have more shootout wins on the road than the flyers <laughs> than the flyers have shootout wins total like it's it, it is unbelievable how bad the flyers are in shootouts I, I i think they could i don't know they could what i can't stand shootouts so you know the 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 women's olympic gold medal game everyone was talking about how exciting it was you know the u.s won in this dramatic shootout no it sucked like it's <laughs> it won't why should the U.S. get gold medals and Canada get silver medals? Because one team is better at breakaways than the other team. It's completely ridiculous. So I would – it's never going to happen because Gary Bettman seems to, like, love anything that, you know, that is gimmicky and that, that yeah. non – that casual fans seem to love. So they, they love them. But I just I, – I think they should play three-on-three three until someone scores. Yeah, they're great. Uh, if Gary Bettman had his way, every NHL game would be played in a football stadium uh, with bad <laughs> angles that nobody could see, and it would snow and rain and 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts for every game, and that would excite him. Because Did, did you guys see the, the Maple Leafs-Capitals outdoor game on, honestly, on sa Saturday night? Honestly, did I didn't even know until five minutes before the game started that it was going on. And again... And I've I've went on about this before in the past. It's the NHL not knowing a damn how to market themselves. And it was the home, you know, the game earlier in the year that started at two o'clock that nobody knew about, and nobody could see because it wasn't on TV. And then they play this bullshit game to like what thirty thousand people in a football stadium. Nobody showed up to because the weather sucked. Well, the and. The thing was, nobody could see the Maple Leafs out there because their uniforms... They blended they in with the ice. Yeah. It looked like yeah. a James Bond movie. Like, there's right. those James Bond movies that are set, like, in, in the Arctic tundra, and you've got all the snipers wearing the white snowsuits. That's what it looked like. You go look online and look at overhead shots of warm-ups. You literally cannot see the Maple Leafs players because they blend into the ice. Like, it was preposterous. And you can't tell when a team scores because you just can't see the puck go in the net. Mm -hmm. I just, I've been to two of these outdoor games. I was at the uh, one at Citizens Bank ballpark with Flyers Rangers, maybe. And then I was at the one at Heinz Field last year. And I'm not, I'm never going to go to another one because they're just, it's too cold. You're, you're far removed away from the action. Everything that's great about hockey, the intimacy of being at an indoor event just goes away for those outdoor games. Well, I've never been to the outdoor game. So I plan on going next year just to say, you know, I was there, but you're absolutely right. I can, I mean, you could just tell and they try, you know, when you're, when the crowd is like 50 yards away from the ice and I was looking at tickets for the game at Heinz Field last year, there's a problem when the seats that are up in the nosebleeds are more expensive than the ones that are at field level. It's like this weird topsy-turvy Dr. Seuss kind of world that they live in when you see shit like that. So, I mean, look, the shit sells, uh, I guess, because there's more games every year. They're going to keep doing it. So this is another thing. Gary Bettman is in love with it. He's probably never going to get rid of it. 
and it's just I don't know it's cool. They get the you know every year they get new jersey sales. The teams come out with new jerseys. The Flyers are going to have another outdoor game jersey next year for this game against the Penguins at Lincoln Financial Field. So as long as it makes money, as long as they're selling shit, the league's going to keep doing it. There's no way to slow it down unless nobody showed up. Um, another thing I was looking at now that we've, you know, now that we're done slandering the league, <laughs> the league that we're, uh, you know, talking about, and we're just being part of the problem at that point, but <laughs> kind of with something that really didn't set me off, but annoyed me when I was reading Mike's thread was the, the questions people asked about, and Mike, you said it best, how they referred to it as the Shen Latera trade or Lettera, as we found out is the correct pronunciation last week, how they refer to it as that, just completely gloss over the fact that the Flyers got two number one first-round picks for Braden Shen, and Yuri Lettera was a throw-in, but let's call it the Shen-Lettera trade, because I guess that just, that that furthers their narrative that it was a stupid trade, because they don't look and say, like, oh, we got two first-round picks, I know you love Braden Shen, but you take two first-round picks when somebody's giving them to you. And the other thing was how people keep asking on Twitter. I hear it on the radio, the five minutes they talk about the Flyers. And again last night, these people that just keep driving home the question as to why the Flyers didn't do anything at the deadline. It's like they just haven't been listening to Ron Hextall the last couple of years where he says he's not going to make a knee-jerk reaction of a trade. Just because the Flyers are in a good situation right now, there was no chance in hell he was going to give up any more draft picks that he already had to to get Morazic, and there was no chance in hell he was going to get rid of any of the prospects, any of the guys down in the Phantoms to get a, a scorer or a better defenseman than what they have. That's just not his MO. And the players that he would be willing to trade, the like a Weiss, a Philpola, a Latera, a Reed, something like that, nobody wants. So the only the only collateral that Ron Hextall had to trade, while everyone everyone was giving away gold and hundred dollar bills Ron Hexall was sitting there with his recyclables from the last three weeks in the form of cans and glass bottles, and you can't turn that into something better than what it is. If you trade trash, you're going to get trash. And I, it frustrates me that the people that there's still people out there that are frustrated that he didn't do anything at the deadline, and I don't understand what there isn't to get about it. He's not going to. He's not going to touch what he built. He said it himself. He is proud of the, he wants to bring these people along in the system, these players along in the system. He's not going to fuck with that unless he absolutely has to, like he had to with the goalie situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what he said. I mean, not, not exactly in those terms, but he's not going to do a move unless, unless I think I made a comparison here to what um, uh, Steve Eiserman did down in Tampa Bay. Um, and I can see Ron thinking in a similar in a similar vein where the only way that he's going to unload prospects that have considerable potential here is if that system is locked and loaded and that you've got multiple other guys that are as good or better that can fill that role. Um, and, and he said the deal's got to be fair. He's not just going to dump a bunch of prospects that have high potential to get a rental for one, one and a half years or so. Mm -hmm. um, that's just not in his in his thinking style it's never going to happen with him and that and that might be the right way to go you know i think that's one of the reasons that i personally was drawn back into the flyers when hexy became gm was to kind of go through this type of um um uh, different mindset mike when you were down at the great informative uh, flyers town hall meeting were you aware that you were missing the television event of the year in the bachelor finale i was not aware until after the fact and uh i'm just i'm just really disappointed that i had to miss that so obviously you sound like a huge fan of the bachelor correct yeah i uh i can't get enough okay well our very own dan silver 
hosted a uh, what looked like a very entertaining and a very fun-filled bachelor watch party last night. Dan, was that uh was it the shindig bigger than the Oscars like you thought it was going to be? It was man, it was bigger than the Oscars. It was the place to be last night if you're a Washington DC resident. Uh yeah, no, my girlfriend and I watch uh The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelor Winter Games. Can't get enough, you know. It's uh it's it's uh you know, it's great trashy TV. Um, and the, uh, there was all kinds of drama going on last night. I mean, the, the, first of all, are you guys IndyCar fans at all? No. No. Okay. Well, <laughs> Ari Leondike is a famous driver. His son was the bachelor on this show. And so he ended up telling two girls that he loved both of them. He proposed to one of them and then he broke up with the one that he proposed to and, <laughs> and, uh, and proposed to the other one. The runner-up on live TV. He broke up with his fiance. Broke up with her on live TV. Like I love it, it was. It was. Yeah. It was. It was insane. But it's. Uh. You know. It's. You know. Provides a little bit of. You know. Get so worked up about the flyers all the time. It kind of. You know. It's a nice little little contrast. So yeah, we had a fire going. We had candles all over the place. Wine, champagne, <laughs> awesome. pizza. It was no. It was, I made some guacamole. One of the only things I can make is I can make killer guacamole. That's a good dish so, right there. Well, not a yeah. dish. I guess it's more of a dip. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but you know, avocados are so healthy that. So yeah, no, it was. I mean, it was. It was fantastic. So it was. It was great. I'm in a fantasy league for. Uh, you know, my two big fantasy sports I play are fantasy baseball, tons of fantasy baseball teams, and then fantasy bachelor. I've I've yet to win. I've been robbed. <laughs> that <times>. exists. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Pick your state. Of, of women and uh, off you go. You know, I'm not afraid to admit it. I I, I like the show. It's, it's fun. It's, it's almost um, like um, fan like Bachelor Fantasy kind of sounds like the scene in Taken where they're bidding on the girl, um, Liam Neeson's daughter. Oh yeah, bidding on that, her. Uh, that's a to, great movie. You're hostile like, too. Yeah, it sounds. I mean, if I did watch that show, all I would keep thinking is. That's somebody's daughter up there just being explored. I mean, I don't have a daughter. I don't have kids, so I really don't care. But I, it just amazes me. The, pe- the things people do for fame is tremendous. And I know, Dan, you, I know you take it for what it is, but I honestly oh, yeah. believe there's people out there that, like, are, like, shocked that this guy, quote-unquote, broke up with his fiance that he's known, like, a couple months and proposed to like 24 hours prior and then like oh big curveball nope i'm picking the other girl actually so and he's the, the second person the guy's getting roasted alive on twitter about this oh yeah he's getting killed he's the second person that's the second bachelor that's done this you mentioned the uh the, the one of the best parts is they take the four finalists to the hometowns and all of the fathers of the women basically threaten to beat the crap out of the bachelor oh how could you he, not the one guy said, I know, I'll find you on Google if you break up with my daughter. Oh, I, I mean, come on. That's taking How do you live like that? Uh, um, so I, I want to take it back to, uh, to yeah. the, one of the topics at hand because, um, you know, Mike, Mike, you know, he's, he had this great thread about the town hall last night. Uh, he's, you know, I'm very, I had the pleasure of meeting him at the draft party last year. He's very intellectual except when you get him going about Sam Moran. So I want to read read a a tweet, and there's a lot to choose from, but uh, here's a tweet from December 16th, 2017. Oh, no, don't do this, Dan. says, I'm forever going to be at the throat, and he was so mad, he misspelled at. He just said A. So he said, I'm forever going to be at the throat of this organization. Until they give Moran a legitimate chance to prove himself at NHL level, there is no reason not to give him time before making a decision on him, given the developmental state of the franchise. And a lot of people on Twitter have feelings about Moran. I'm telling you, Mike's got like stronger feelings about this guy. And it might just be more about the way that the organization has handled him. But I want Mike to talk a little bit about his thoughts on Sam Moran and how that ties into what he thinks about how the organization develops young players. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a that's a great topic here. Um, 
I think that overall, and I've said this before a couple times that, and I hate to be too crass, but I feel like they're kind of constipated with their, with their prospects right now is that they have all these guys that seem like they're really ready to come up. Um, Travis Sanheim and Sam and Sam Morin are the first two that come to mind. Uh, and I mean, Sam Warren was drafted five years ago mm-hmm. and, you know, he went through the juniors. He was, uh, I think he had a couple years there. He's been at the Phantoms for three years or something. Uh, at this point, I think you need to find out what the hell he actually is. Um, I believe he's going to be an RFA coming up this summer and he's going to be RFA with, with no clue if he can actually compete properly at the NHL level. I mean, if I'm his agent, I'm like, I don't know if I want to resign here unless you're going to say, look, you're going to get a chance with this team. Uh, and it's not to say that he's going to be the next Chris Pronger, which is ridiculous. Um, but I think that the guy absolutely can help in areas that this team really, really struggles uh, in front of the net specifically. I mean, how many times have we seen Brandon Manning or Andrew McDonald or somebody of the like uh, get out positioned, out muscled in front of the net at the home plate area um, and a goal goes in? And, and when you have a guy like Sam Warren that's able to clear that crease out, it's able to establish some positioning. Um, I think that's going to be invaluable in preventing goals. Uh, and I would just love to see him come up. I think that he's a perfect um, uh, complement uh, to what they have now in terms of uh, uh, Shane Gossis, Baron Ivan Provorov. Uh, so I just don't know what they're doing with him at this point. Uh, I know he's been injured throughout the year, but I mean, you really got to give the guy a chance. Uh, and it just seems like a wasted opportunity if he goes, you know, from draft year in 2013 and five years later, he's played, what, a handful of NHL games and that's it. I mean, I just think you need to give him a shot. And if he fails, he fails. But um, but I think that there's too much potential there and too much value in terms of an area of need for them just to say goodbye. Right. Well, I mean, the interesting – go ahead, Mark. Well, I was just going to say what's important about a guy like Moren is – it's like Mike said, if he fails, he fails. It's not like they have so much invested in him as, you know, they have all this hope to make him a number one defenseman and, you know, the the cornerstone of their blue line going forward. They have so much to fall back on. They have such a plethora of defensive prospects and young defensemen with the Flyers that if it doesn't work out, then you have guys that could just fill right in for him you don't need him to be a top four defenseman and Mike's absolutely right he is he has something that none of the other Flyers defensemen have and that's that strong physical presence and if you look at all the guys the Flyers have defensively the Gosses Bears uh Phil Myers Travis Sanheim, even Ivan Provorov, you know, they have such good offensive talent and offensive games. You need a guy like Moren that is just like, can just be your defensive rock. The guy that like you turn to on a penalty kill or in a big situation, if you're down a goal, you can't give up a goal or if you're up a goal, if it's a one goal situation, one way or another, you need a guy like a Sam Moren who can just be the rock you stick him there in front of the net, he clears out the garbage, and it makes the job of everybody else so much easier because they're not scrambling to stick with their guy or, you know, we've seen it so many times. How many times already has Peter Morazic been, you know, hung out to dry because he lets up a rebound and nobody's there to collect it. No one's there to put their body on somebody else of the opposing team and actually know the goals in the back of the net. So, Mike, you're right, head to toe on that whole thing. Sam Moran needs a chance, and I, I just think the, the, the problem right now is with the Flyers is they have so many defensemen already with the pro roster that – and you have the contracts like, you know, Manning is obviously coming off the books. Oduya is not going to be here next year. Um, so then – that's going to open up some spots next year, and I think it just only makes sense to bring up Sanheim, Moren, or Phil Myers, whoever. Two of those three should make the jump next year, and I guess, you know, next year it's kind of shit or get off the pot. Like, either play them and let the, you know, see what they have, see what he has, specifically in Moren because he's been here longer, or, you know, just cut ties and let him go and let him be a player somewhere else. I mean, the interesting thing with, Morant is that he is not going to be um, like reverse 
waiver eligible. So next year, assuming the Flyers sign Moran as an RFA, which I'm assuming they will, they can't send him down to the Phantoms without him having to go through waivers. And there's a very small chance that another NHL team would not claim Moran. If, if, if he's got a clear waiver, you're probably oh, yeah. going to lose him. So, right. so next year, Moran is probably going to have to be like the seventh defenseman on the team. So one of the really interesting things to watch over the summer is what the Flyers do. Let's assume they don't re-sign Brandon Manning. I know a lot of fans are kind of worried that they're going to re-sign him. I don't think they're going to re-sign Manning. So that'll open up one spot. Let's assume Sandheim gets that spot. Now you've you know you could bring on Mar- Moran, keep him as the seventh defenseman. I think they're going to probably look to trade Gudis potentially. And if you trade Gudis, now you've opened up a spot for either Myers or Moran that top six. But you know I I think just based on the waiver situation, Moran's going to have to be on the Flyers. He's either going to be on the Flyers next season or he's going to be somewhere else because he ain't clearing right. wa- waivers to go back down to the Phantoms unless. Yeah. And I don't know what the market would be, and I don't even know if Hexall's interest. You could always do a sign-and-trade type move. I know that's not big in hockey like it is in you know basketball or something like that, but eventually you have to figure something out. Eventually you have to decide if you want this guy on your team long-term or you have to figure out a way to move him, whether it's just letting him go or, you know, Getting him under contract, something manageable, and then shopping him around. But I don't know what the I don't know how big the market or how big the return would be for a guy like him because of his injury history. And you know, on the flip side, when you talk about trading a guy like Gudis, it's kind of the same thing. He, we've talked about this in the past, Dan. How he since he's come back from his uh, suspension earlier in the season, he's kind of playing a little bit timid. Uh, he stepped up the physicality. A little bit in the past couple games, but he's a guy that he has to play a certain way for his game to translate well on the ice. And if he's afraid, like it seems he has been, of you know getting that next big suspension or hurting the team just in one game by getting a stupid penalty that probably wouldn't be a penalty if your name is you know Shane Gossespear, but because your name is Radko Gudis, you're going to get that call every time. So. Those are two options that you could trade either one, but there comes with that uh, a lot of baggage that another team would have to take on. Yeah, and here's one more point on the on the Morin situation too: is that the Flyers really dug themselves in this situation themselves. Uh, at the end of last year, if you recall, uh, the Flyers were not going to make the playoffs. They had a little bit of a better uh, spring than the prior part of the year, but they weren't going to make the playoffs. And they gave Sam Morin and Robert Haig one game. At the end of the season against the uh, uh, Devils, I think it was. But why don't you play? I mean, these guys were were ready to come in and contribute last year. Why not get you know the rookie jitters out of their systems for maybe two months last last spring, um, and then maybe you have more of a clear picture as to what Sam Morin might be. And, you know, you can act accordingly. But at this point, they didn't even give him a chance to do that, uh, you know, and so they're really pinching themselves on this one. Yeah, I agree. The Flyers, they've made a lot of questionable personnel decisions these last, you know, few years, especially, you know, since Hackstall's been, you know, in charge and everything like that. I think maybe a, a big part of them last year thought that they had a shot still to make the playoffs even though us as fans from the outside looking in are seeing the product on the ice and we're just, you know, we all accepted long before it was over that it was indeed over and we were all, you know, screaming for the young guys to come up. So, yeah, um, the Flyers player development has, to me, it's opened up a lot of question marks. You don't, you know, you don't get a lot of answers from them other than, it's all part of the plan. It's all part of the quote-unquote process, not to rip off the Sixers. But, yeah, I mean, this is just – the fact of the matter is that Ron Hexall's been so shut off to as to what, you know, he's doing with the young players and to, you know, how he sees different players in the organization that we're probably never going to get clear, cut-and-dry answers as to why they did one thing as opposed to another. We just, you know – 
they're going to do what they're going to do, and it's up to the rest of us to debate it, like on podcasts like this, on Twitter. And, you know, until it starts, you know, until, and I don't think this would ever happen, but until something would go wrong and things start going south and going south fast, that I think we have to give Ron Hextall and the Flyers the benefit of the doubt that they know what they're doing and we just kind of have to ride this wave that they have us on. Yeah, I mean, I think Hextall definitely has the long game in mind, and that's what, you know, one of the things Mike, one of his tweets, I think, was about how, you know, Hextall wants to have his team be good for 10 years. So he's, you know, he's not making moves, taking on long-term salary, but he has made some moves like the Sandheim or like the uh, Shen trade where he got two first-round picks, but he also got two years of Euro Laterra at $5 million Mm -hmm. a year. And he took on Filpula, which is some money. And he was saddled with McDonald's contract, which is what I assume that guy was yelling about yesterday at the town hall was that that Holmgren Mm -hmm. is the guy who traded for and then extended AMAC to this long contract. So I think Hextall in his mind knows that the long game is what's important, which is why he's allowing Dave Hextall to create these lineups and keep Brandon Manning in and send Sandheim down You know, I think next year, I think it's a pretty safe bet that five of the six starting Flyers defensemen are going to be Provorov, Ghost, uh, McDonald, and Haig, and Sandheim. I think those five guys are almost assured of of spots in the Flyers' top six next year. And then I think the the sixth spot comes down to if they trade Gudis or not. I think they might try and trade Gudis. And if you could do that, you could open up a spot for – either Morant or Myers. And then, you know, again, Morant, because of his situation, is probably either going to have to be traded. But as Mike pointed out from what Hextall was saying yesterday, and we all sort of already know, he doesn't. Hextall doesn't want to trade any of these guys. No. So I think he's going to, you know, the worst-case scenario is Morant's the seventh defenseman next year. That's fine. And people will be injured, and he'll get a chance to play. Mm-hmm. But I think little by little, and we see it, all these young guys are going to cycle through, right? I mean, I think next year you could have a chance to see Mikhail Vorobiev as the fourth-line center for this team, and maybe Nicholas Abe-Kubel gets a chance. He's really been lighting it up in the AHL this season. Some of these younger guys, they're just going to start to, to funnel in. Um, so I think they're playing the long game, and it's, you know... I one of the, Another interesting storyline, and we talked about it, is Mrazic right? Because he was so good his first three games, and he's been pretty bad the last three games. Whether or not they re-sign him, he's an RFA, and he's making $4 million a year, so they're going to have to offer him, his qualifying offer is going to have to be like at least $4.5 million. It, whether or not they're going to do that depends on what we see from him the rest of the way, and that that's going to be really interesting. But, you know, Hextall's got the long game in mind, and so I'm sort of viewing anything that happens this year as gravy, right? Like, this team has been playing much better than people thought. They're probably going to the playoffs. We're going to get to watch a fun playoff series. They're going to compete better than they did against the Capitals in the playoffs two years ago. And it's it's going to be an exciting rest of the year. And I think I think we you know we we can really enjoy it without being that stressed out about it. Right. Well, I look. There's there's still a lot of season left, and we have. All summer, um, you know, the latter part of spring and all summer to yell and debate and question what the Flyers are going to do, if anything. They have finally, this will be the first offseason in a very, 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 very long time. Seems like forever that they'll have some kind of cap flexibility. I have my eye on one guy that I'm not going to say right now because we just don't have the time to get into it. And I know Dan will probably tell me I'm wrong for wanting him and tell me all the reasons why it'll never happen, but I'm going to hold hope in my heart as to my one uh, my one prize. And even I know it's not realistic to really get this guy, but it is what it is. Is so it Mike, John Tavares? No. Okay. No. Yes, it is. It is? Yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, well, you talk about that next week. We can, because... All right, yeah, we'll get into it next week, maybe. Dare to dream, dare to dream, Mark. Exactly. Like I said, like I said, I don't think it's gonna happen. It's probably not realistic, but I would love to see it happen because I've been screaming, "Go get a scorer!" For it seems like 
you know, at least a year, at least since doing this podcast, I've, I've been screaming my head off about getting a score. So, but that's neither here nor there. We'll get into it down the line. We have all summer. Like I said, Mike, thanks for doing this. Um, if the people want to see the thread, if the people want to see your thoughts, your takes as it is nowadays on the flyers and beyond, how do they find you on Twitter? Sure. They can find me at at M, Death and Taxes. That's M as in Mike, my first name, and Death and Taxes as in nothing is assured in life but Death and Taxes. <laughs> Perfect. That's awesome. You're you're a very you're probably the most eloquent person we've ever had. And I mean you're one of we had one other person besides me and Dan do this show, so I mean you're gonna be hard to top, that's for sure. Well thanks for having me, guys. I really had a fun time tonight. No problem. Dan, you know the drill. The plugs, give them. So you can follow me at Twitter at, at DSilver88 and uh, check out some of my articles at phillyisflyer.com. Uh, I've got some uh, good prospect articles up there. Again, it's www.phillyisflyer.com. A lot of great content over there. And, um, and yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's great having Mike on. Awesome. Um, you know, as for me, of course, follow me on Twitter at MarkFlagman2Ns. Follow this show at underscore getting bullied. I will be back down at the Class of 1923 Arena for the Philadelphia Rebels on Friday. And they're playing at the Big House, Wells Fargo Center on Saturday. I'm going to be down there for both games, intoxicated for both games. So if you, if you see me, if you recognize me, you want to say hello, feel free to do so. Um, so that's it for this week. Again, much thanks to Mike for stopping in for us. Dan, as always, it's been a pleasure. Until next week, uh, go Flyers. Good night, Sweden.